0: Let's pray and ask for God's help as we turn to his word, and we'll pray for the children as they go to Sunday school too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you that you are the creator of everyone and everything. We thank you that you are majestic and wonderful, powerful. We just pray for the children as they go out to learn more about you, that they would, you would be at work um, both in their heads, teaching them about you, but also in their hearts, uh, that they might love you and gladly serve you and trust you all their days. We pray for us now as we turn to your word uh, together. Uh, Give us hearts that are willing to hear what you have to say and to accept it. Please be at work in us, to change us and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Young man... Sit down. When God is pleased to convert the heathen world, he will do it without your help or mine. Uh, These were the words of a certain Dr. Ryland at a church minister's meeting in Northampton in 1786. Um, He said them in response to a a young man's presentation. He was just 25 years old. Uh, William Carey, you may know the name, uh, William Carey had been trying to persuade the group that Jesus' great commission, uh, the command to go and make disciples of all nations, was still binding and relevant uh, for the church, that God's people still had a role and responsibility to reach out with the gospel to those who didn't know Jesus. And Thankfully, uh, despite being humiliated by the more senior Dr. Ryland, uh, Carey kept his convictions... And through his uh, teaching and example, the church was woken up to its responsibility and to its role to reach out with the good news of Jesus uh, to those who don't know him. Now, I mention that because I guess whilst publicly, I I guess many of us would agree with William Carey. We need to make disciples. We've got a role here to make Jesus known. I wonder if privately, at least at times, we can be more aligned with Dr. Ryland. When God is pleased to convert people, he will do it without your help or mine. You see, it's possible that we can have a heart for people and a longing that they might come to know Jesus, and yet at the same time, deep down, hope that God will do that directly, without our help or involvement. But how does God reach the lost? How does Jesus grow his church? How does Jesus bring people to faith in himself? What's his growth strategy? What means does he typically use? Or to put it another way, if we're going to see people in Antrim come to know Jesus in 2022, what's going to happen Well, I think what we're going to see today is that in the vast majority of cases, Jesus grows his church and saves the lost through us. That his growth strategy for the church is this, disciples making disciples. Last week, we saw John the Baptist bear witness to Jesus uh, and we looked at him and saw him consistently point away from himself and to the Lord Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God, he takes away the sins of the world. Um, or he says, you know, I-, I baptize with water. Yes, that's true. But among you stands one you do not know, the strap of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. And we learnt from his example of his witness pointing to Jesus. Well, this week we see Jesus' band of disciples grow and expand and the drama takes place over two days at day one is outlined for us in verse 35 to 42 if you've got your bibles open in front of you and there we see andrew uh, recruit his brother simon and then day two is outlined for us in verse 43 to 51 where we see philip recruit his friend nathaniel now, of course, as we'll see, there are some differences between day one and day two. We're dealing here with different people from different backgrounds in different circumstances. There are differences. But really, what John wants to highlight for us is that there's a common pattern in how both Simon and Nathaniel become disciples. The way they come to Jesus is very, very similar In other words, John is spelling out for us the normal way for people to become believers, for people to become disciples. So let's just have a look at this pattern and looking at these two days. Firstly, I'll have a look at day one. Again, that's verse 35 to 41. John the Baptist is with two of his disciples. Um, Andrew is one, and the other is possibly John, um, but in truth, we're not told. But in any case, Jesus passes by, and on seeing him, John stops whatever he's doing to point to him again. Look, the Lamb of God. How do John's disciples react uh, when they hear this? Have a look at verse uh, 37. If you've got your Bibles open, you just have a look at this. Um, how does How did John's disciples react in verse 37? Anybody want to tell me, how did John's disciples react? If you can see it there in verse 37, feel free to shout it out. They what? They followed, yeah, they followed Jesus. And then spending the day with Jesus at his accommodation, they learned from him. They followed Jesus. But as I sit and listen to Jesus, something's going on with Andrew. And it's very strange because he's simultaneously gripped by what Jesus is saying, and yet at the same time, kind of distracted. Almost as if, on the one hand, he can't get enough of Jesus, and yet at the same time, it looks as if he's about to do a runner. And you can kind of imagine the conversation. Jesus says to Andrew, is everything okay, Andrew? And he says, look, I'm sorry, there's just, there's just something I have to do. What does Andrew rush off to do so urgently? Verse 41, he told the first thing Andrew did was to what? Again, if you see it there in verse 41, shout it out. What was the first thing that Andrew did? The first thing Andrew did was to... Yeah, thank you, go to his brother, that's right, to find, to go to his brother, to find his brother Simon, we find the Messiah, and brings him to Jesus. So Andrew follows Jesus, um, Andrew then finds Simon and brings him to Jesus, and then on their return, Jesus does business with Simon. At Jesus speaking to Simon shows him that he already knows him. says in verse 42, "You are Simon, son of John." In other words, he says to him, "Even though we've never met, I know you, I know all about you. Um, just as he's going to do with Nathaniel the next day, Jesus is showing Simon that he knows everything about him, uh, because of who he is, because he has divine knowledge. Jesus then gives Simon a new name. Uh, Cephas in Aramaic, it means Peter. In Greek, in English, it means rock. Uh, Why does he give him that name? Because he hints at what Simon's future is going to hold for him as a disciple. In other words, uh, as we know, he is going to become the rock on which Christ is going to build his his church. But you hear that pattern. Andrew follows Jesus. Um, Andrew then finds Simon, bringing him to Jesus. Jesus for Jesus to do business with Simon. And the next day, we see the very same pattern. Verse 43. And the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, what does he say to him? Follow me. And Philip follows. What's the first thing that Philip does in verse 45? Philip found Philip. Nathanael. And just like Andrew told Simon the day before, Philip here tells Nathanael, we find, we find the one Moses wrote about and the, pro- the, and the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We find the Messiah. Uh, Nathanael, though, isn't too sure, and he objects. He says in verse 46 Nazareth, can anything good come from there? I guess, being an Israelite, well-versed in Scripture, he wasn't aware of any prophecy that spoke about the Messiah coming from Nazareth. And so he objects. And in truth, his objection, it seems, kind of stumps Philip. Philip doesn't quite know how to answer him. Um, I don't know about you, but um, I find with the benefit of hindsight, I can often answer people's questions far better than when I'm in the moment. Maybe you find that too. And in the moment someone asks a question or raises an objection and don't quite know what to say or to think. And then later on in the day, you think, that's what I should have said. Well, perhaps with the benefit of hindsight, Philip might have answered Nathaniel and said, well, look, yes, uh, Nathaniel, I mean, Jesus grew up in Nazareth, but he was born in Bethlehem just as the Old Testament prophesied, the city of David. With the benefit of hindsight, he might have said that, but in the moment, he just didn't know. He didn't know that yet. And so he just says, well, come and see for yourself. So Philip follows Jesus. Philip then finds Nathaniel, brings him to Jesus. And just like in the day before, Jesus then does business, this time with Nathanael. Like with Simon the day before, Jesus shows Nathanael that he already knows him. Verse 47, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Again, he says, even though we've never met, I know you. I know all about you. Um, I know everything about you because of who I am, because I see everything. And for Nathanael... You know, his 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 kind of objection about Nazareth and how does that fit in? And is now utterly irrelevant, as he confesses, verse forty nine, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And just as Jesus hinted to Simon what his future would hold, so Jesus here tells Nathaniel what his future will hold for him. If he'll stick with Jesus. Verse 50, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. In other words, he says, You ain't seen nothing yet, as he hints at the miraculous signs that Nathaniel will see Jesus do if he sticks with him. So again, you just hear that pattern. Really important. Uh, Philip follows at uh, Jesus. Philip finds Nathanael, we find the Messiah, come and see, in order then for Jesus to do business with Nathanael. So how did Jesus grow his band of disciples? How did he gain followers? What was the normal way for him to reach out? Well, in most cases, it wasn't him directly reaching out. It was through his disciples. Here we have this pattern of disciples making disciples. So going back to what that man, Dr. Ryland, said, I think we need to change it, don't we? He said when God is pleased to convert the heathen world, well, we might say and might finish it off by saying, well, if he's going to do that, he's likely going to do it through us because that is just how he tends to work. Disciples making disciples, through disciples bringing others to him for him to do business with them. Well, how does this apply? And I'm just going to take some bit of time to think about application for us. How does all of this apply to us? Well, let me suggest four areas, and we'll talk about them. Firstly, I think this calls on us to get clear in our thinking. To get clear in our thinking uh, that finding others is simply part and parcel of what it means to follow Jesus. That finding others is simply part and parcel of what it means to follow Jesus. I think we need to get clear in our thinking because um, often, at least my heart, can be very good at making excuses and can be very good at trying to wiggle um, its way out of our responsibilities Um, Our hearts can say things like, well, finding others, well, no, no, that's just for missionaries in some other country, or, well, I'm not very good at talking, or I don't have all the answers, or, well, well, I'll pray, and someone else can do the finding. Um, That's how our hearts can speak to us, and so we've got to get clear in our thinking so that when our heart begins to make excuses, we can talk back to it and correct it and put it right and say to our hearts, well, yes, okay, I'm no Billy Graham, but I still have a role to play. God wants to use me to bring others to himself. He wants to save others through me so that when we feel weak and inadequate, rather than making excuses for ourselves, we can turn to God and ask for strength and help. Are we clear in our thinking? Are you clear in your thinking that finding others is just part and parcel of what it means to follow Jesus? We've got to be clear on that. And then secondly, I think this calls on us to get excited by Jesus. I guess we, we inevitably, we, we talk about whatever excites us. If we're excited by the football, we'll find ourselves talking about the football. If we're excited by... Um, Something we've watched in the telly, we'll we'll find ourselves talking about it. And therefore, we've got to get excited by Jesus. That's what's going to give us the drive to find others, to share with others about the Lord Jesus. And looking at Philip and Andrew, clearly, they were thrilled by Jesus. We find the Messiah. We find the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Um, Really, I mean, they're like... They're like kids on Christmas morning, bouncing with enthusiasm, having just found presents underneath the Christmas tree. Look what we found. How do we try and recover that kind of excitement for Jesus if we've lost it? Well, I guess we've got to be those who, every day, just gaze on him in his beauty. We've got to see him and keep seeing him as the eternal son of God. Uh, through whom all things were made. We've got to see him as God in the flesh, full of grace and truth. We've got to see him as the Lamb of God, the one who's, who, who bears the sins of the world to shield us from God's coming judgment. We've got to see him as the long-promised Messiah, the King who rules over everyone everywhere. We've got to, got to see him as the good shepherd who lays on his life for the sheep. We've got to see him as the great life-giver the one who gives life to us in all of its fullness now and eternal life in the age to come. To speak of Jesus, we've got to be thrilled by Jesus. To be thrilled by Jesus, we've got to dwell on him and gaze on him, thinking about him, dwelling on who he is and what he's done. We've got to be excited by Jesus. Uh, Thirdly, I think this um, encourages us that we don't need to know all the answers to be used by God. I think sometimes we can be put off sharing our faith uh, because we worry and we think, "Well, what if someone raises a question or an objection? And I just don't know the answer. That's not going to look very good. Well whilst it's good to have, to, to, to have thought through people's possible questions and objections, what we see here is that we, we don't need to have all the answers. And Nathaniel objects. Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip says simply, Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Uh, what might be the equivalent for us today? What might it mean for us to invite someone to come and see Jesus, uh, given I guess that he's, he's back in heaven? What does come and see mean for us? Well, let me just mention a few suggestions. Um, it might look like saying, Have a read for yourself. Have a read for yourself. Um, John saw Jesus and wrote about Jesus so that we might read about Jesus. So introducing people to Jesus might mean saying, come and have a a read for yourself. Uh, We can say that without knowing all the answers. See what you think. Have a read. What do you make of him? Um, One of you this week was telling me how uh, reading Matthew's gospel... Was, was really important for you in your, in your coming to faith. I think of a, a lady I know um, at the moment exploring faith, reading through Luke's gospel. I think of an, a non-Christian friend who, who told me, this is a number of years back, who told me how impressed he was reading Mark's gospel. He said beforehand, I, I, I thought it was going to be nonsense. I thought there was going to be nothing to it. And I was really impressed. Now he doesn't yet believe But he's been able to encounter. He's he's been able to read and to see about Jesus. Come and see. Well, for us, it could mean have a read for yourself. See what you make of it. Bottom line is, it doesn't require us to have all the answers. Come and see could also look like saying, come and come and meet his people. Come along and listen. Come to my church. Um, You know, watch online this week. Come along next week. Uh, I guess just listening to the service, someone is going to get a, a good impression of what we think about Jesus, and they're going to get to meet loads of people be, whose lives have been transformed by him. I was chatting um, just recently with Stephen Lockington from uh, First Antrim Presbyterian Church, and we were just just sharing, and he was just saying, and I was just saying, just how uh, Sunday morning services can be a, a brilliant opportunity and a brilliant resource for someone looking into the faith. Of course, we've got carol services and Christmas Day services and baptismal services, these great invite opportunities. But in truth, there's no bad Sunday uh, to say, come along. Come along and see what you think. Just see what you make of it all. Just a couple of suggestions for us. Um, Have a read for yourself. Come and meet. Come and listen. But the bottom line is we don't need to have all the answers to do that. We just need to be excited about Jesus and to love people. So we're to to get clear in our thinking. Finding others is just part and parcel of what it means to follow Jesus. We get excited by Jesus by dwelling on him. We don't need to know all the answers to say, come and see. Uh, But then just finally, I guess just an encouragement to you, if you don't yet believe, um, to be like Nathaniel, and to be like Simon in our account that is to accept your friend's invitation to come and see, uh, to read a gospel, you know, or if reading's not your thing, to, to listen to it. Uh, they're short, they're gripping, and you may just find your answers and objections answered, your questions and objections answered. Will you read a gospel? Will you keep coming back and mulling it all over? Because of the possibility of finding the one for whom you were made. For Nathaniel and for Simon, they went and they saw, and it changed their lives and their eternal destinies. Well, why not you two come and see? Uh, We find the Messiah, we think he's wonderful, and we would just love it if you were to find him as well.